you have been in this industry. I mean, why don't you tell me what's the years we're looking at now? Because you own a gym, you've been a coach for many years. What are we looking at? Um, we are looking at uh, around about the twelve-year mark, I think, wow. in uh, as a coach. Yeah, okay. It's been a while now. Look, when you look back on twelve years, let's like we work with a lot of personal trainers and coaches. We we deliver set three and four. We teach them. We educate them. And I think a lot of young trainers and coaches that look at a guy like you pretty successful, has a pretty very large following, a lot of clients, got a gym. Some people use that as like, wow, that's empowering. Like, look what I can do. Some people are like, I don't even know where to begin. Like, that's intimidating. Like, if you stripped it back, what do you tell the young coaches and trainers and businessmen and women, entrepreneurs who would like to emulate your journey in their own way to get to a version of what you have now? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, the really important thing to consider in all of this is that, you know, 12 years is a very long time. Mm. Uh, I think people often underestimate what they're capable of. Uh, and, you know, with that in mind, I think it's really important to think about the fact that uh, whilst I've no doubt taken a couple of opportunities that have been presented my way, um, you know, I haven't achieved all of this at the same time. You know, it, it has taken 12 years to get to where I am. So, um I think maybe in hindsight, if if this was my intention and this was the goal originally, maybe I would have taken a slightly shorter path to get here. But I think as we all do, we learn and we grow as we get older and uh, we get pushed in different directions until we sort of find the thing that we enjoy the most. Uh, when I first started out as a personal trainer, I, I can assure you it wasn't to set out to do what I'm doing right now. It was just so I could make a decent hourly uh, wage while I was studying at university. And, uh, you know, before long, it, it, it sort of started to pique my interest a little bit more and um, a decent hourly wage became more of a full-time job. And, uh, and that sort of fueled the intention of learning more, becoming better at what I was doing, uh, marketing myself, building more of a brand rather than just being a, a personal trainer that worked out of a, a franchise gym. Um, and I guess I just sort of, you know, continued to climb the ladder, I guess. And, and I guess every step of the way, it just, it was more a case of what makes the most sense for me right now. And, um, you know, I think for a good chunk of those 12 years, I can assure you that um, for that the majority of the time, people would ask me, you know, you're planning on opening a gym. And for the majority of those 12 years, my answer was definitely not. Yeah. Why so, was it no? And why did that change? Uh, well, it changed because of uh, my wife. So that was, yeah. Basically, uh, to be honest, man, I, you know, I, I did a lot of in-person training when I first started out. Um, and, you know, outside of the uh, initial sort of financial outlay, it was you know, fairly low stress in terms of financial buy-in. Online business, very low financial buy-in um, and very little risk associated with running those sorts of businesses. And having been part of several gyms in the past, having a reasonable understanding of the expenses that go on with operating a gym or a you know fitness-based facility, mm. it was just you know never something on the cards. And it wasn't really until you know a couple of years, probably six to twelve months before we opened Paragon, that you know we really decided that we wanted to be in control of the decisions that were being made at the gym that we were working out of. You know, we were. Working in a space that we, you know, initially enjoyed, uh, but soon after that, you know, we felt not uncomfortable, but 
as if the gym was going in a different direction. That was entirely their prerogative. They, you know, wanted to set out to achieve their own goals. Um, but at that point in time, you know, we just felt like that direction was different to what we wanted to do. And a lot of the decisions that affected the members and our clients negatively impacted our businesses. So from that moment onwards, it was more a case of how can we create a working environment that is conducive to our success and ensure that we, uh, you know, don't get stitched up again, to be yeah. honest. And uh, it sort of grew and snowballed from there. I mean, in hindsight, now that I've opened Paragon, I love it. It's, you know, like an absolute uh, joy. Like uh, it brings me nothing but pride now. But initially it was it was a lot of hard work. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to be honest about the fact it's it's more of a passion project than anything. You know, like I said, I absolutely love it. Um, but, you know, it is not, it is not a, uh, it's not a, a, a money printing company. I can tell you that. Who, who is it not for? Because I feel like that's a dream for a lot of people. They want to work in elite sport. You know, they want to open their own business and gym. Who, in your experience, who would you advise against it? And who would you advise for it? Like what type of character values do you think are best suited to be successful at what you're doing? Um, I think there's probably a, a couple of different answers that I could give yeah. uh, in terms of who it's really good for. I think if you're looking to make a quick buck, it's a horrible idea. Uh, it's never really going to work like that. Um, I think if you are an extremely driven entrepreneurial type and you are willing to put in as many hours as is required and build a business that ultimately you own, own the personal training uh, and you know, employ all of your coaches, then yeah, you can probably make a pretty handy, uh, handy living off that. But I think for the most part, if you're wanting to open, you know, particularly a smaller gym, you know, without the intention of turning it into a big, uh, you know, franchise fitness first style facility, um, you know, you've got to be passionate about what you do. You've got to be sort of community driven and, and um, people orientated because I think at the end of the day, we love Paragon because of the people that are in it the atmosphere that it creates, the opportunity it gives to people of all training experiences uh, and, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to meet people and, and help them grow, whether that be through lifting or, or life in general um, within that environment. So I guess either super, super driven, uh, absolute taskmaster or community orientated, I'm here for a good time and to make sure that the people that come into my place are there to enjoy themselves. That's, I think that's a really important note, like to drive it to community and people because you're right, like a lot of the forefront of the mind is money. 100%. And at the end of the day, the service is for people. And so I'm really glad you said that. But if, do you have like the most common, like not regrettable, but like business mistakes that you've made in the past? Maybe it's hiring, maybe it's finances, maybe it's, you know, uh, I don't know. Biz any business mistakes that you would tell a younger version of Nick or even just coaches and entrepreneurs who are beginning to start their own business in this industry? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple I can I can run you through pretty quickly, actually. There's, there's plenty of them to pick from, but I think the most important ones are, uh, you know, you mentioned financial. The first thing I'd recommend anybody looking to set up their own business or even just a, a personal trainer as a uh you know, sole trader mm. is to keep your financials somewhat separate to your personal financials. Don't let, uh, you know, company money become your money uh, accidentally and, and accrue an enormous tax bill without even realizing it. I can assure you that stings more than just a little bit. Um, and I think 
you know, you, you can never plan too much. Uh, and uh, with that in mind, um, you know, you can, you can, you can never forecast too many situations. You know, um, I, I like to think that I did a lot of planning before we opened Paragon, uh, being the fact that it was obviously a, a bricks and mortar facility. There was a lot more risk, particularly financial, in my eyes before we opened that place. Uh, but in spite of all of the projections and planning that I did, uh, you know, I never could have accounted for the original landlord that we had signed a lease with doing a backflip. Uh, after having sent it off to uh, you know the lawyers and everything, we were you know a couple of days from moving in, and all of a sudden we were without a facility and uh, another three or four months without our own gym. Um, and then I guess you know one other thing, which I guess is more of a hindsight style thing, is uh, if you're going to spend money, spend it once, spend it well, don't spend it twice. Mm. I think that's big on like getting quality equipment. Uh, like what do you? That's what you're referring to? Mm -hmm. right, well, let's go practical. Like what what is that? Like what what did you what do you recommend? Do you give an example of like, all right, guys, this like maybe you don't have to give one that you stay away from, but what's a really quality equipment brands that, that you'd recommend? What work for you? Well, I mean, we've we've literally just put in uh, a brand new equipment order with Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, who I would probably consider to be, you know, the Ferrari of gym equipment. Nice. um in terms of branding quality um it's a, a bit of a challenge to get into the country obviously atlantis don't actually import themselves so you have to go through a third party but um once it arrives phenomenal equipment um but yeah i mean when we when we first started out we like i said you know the, the whole planning side of things we we did as much as we could but you know unfortunately i'm uh, i'm really good at fitness stuff not so good at uh council planning town planning uh building certification all those sorts of yeah. things so you know like i said despite all the planning we still had plenty of, of hiccups and, and and speed bumps along the way namely uh you know the last minute inclusion of having to build it a fully accessible and disabled bathroom that we just hadn't budgeted for um so with that in mind you know we ended up probably not cutting corners but we made a decision to go with equipment that in hindsight, I probably would have preferred to have just waited out or stretched just a little bit further to ensure that the facility we opened was what it is now. When you're faced, like you mentioned numerous examples where you're faced with like something, you know, you, you, you plan it, like you planned well, you thought, but then life hits you in the face. Mm -hmm. And I wonder in that moment, like a lot of people, they don't cope well with uncertain turmoil how did you how do you handle those situations personally like because what do you take away from them how do you recommend people handle the uncertain turmoil especially within business that will come our way well i mean i guess you know every experience like that is an opportunity to learn oh. um you know uh, i guess now if i ever open another gym I'm, I'm i'm aware of a few other things that could go wrong um, but you know, at the end of the day, these things aren't personal. Um, you know, no, no building certifier is standing there saying, I really don't like you as a person. So you need to build a disabled bathroom. It's, it's just, it's just the way things go. You know, if I'd done a little bit more research, I probably would have realized that the facility we rented in the first place was going to have to require, uh, building a disabled bathroom and, and have been able to factor, factor that into our costs. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I think if you are in business and you are making the decision to do something uh, entrepreneurial, not a huge fan of that word, but it explains the concept pretty well. 
Um, if you are going to be doing that sort of thing whereby you're taking risks to start a business, um, I think the sooner you can come to terms with the fact that things will go wrong, they can go wrong and will go wrong at times, um, I think it becomes a little bit easier to cope with. Obviously, having a great support system in place, my wife, girlfriend at the time, was you know fantastic. We, we opened the gym together. Um, my parents, you know, were able to help out a lot. Uh, my mom's actually a bathroom designer. So, you know, she was able to help out with choosing tiles and bathrooms and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's business, man. Things are going to go wrong. And, uh, I think a lot of the times it's how do you react so that we can stay afloat and continue to thrive? I mean, look at COVID this year as an example, you know, a lot of people had to be put into a position whereby it's, you know, time to pivot or die. That, uh... Yeah, that's like a subtitle for 2020. Well, right, 100%. Like the last, and I don't think it's uh, going anywhere too fast. So, what do you take away? Like when you reflect back on the last year, maybe this is something you've been asked already or you've reflected upon, but you know, the last year and a half, what do you take away as kind of the the most life changing, uh, perspective changing lessons, personally, business, all of the above. I think it was a really good reminder to not get too comfortable. Uh, nothing is permanent, particularly in business. Um, and I think the more that you can sort of hinge on things being of a more temporary status, you know, the more likely you are to continue trying to learn and do better and, you know, create more security in time. I think there's a lot of, you know, business owners out there, personal trainers out there, coaches, whatever they are, um, and myself included from time to time, that, get comfortable you know they're like well business is great right now i don't need to continue doing ever anything to continue to attract new leads and bring in new business but you know we saw from covid that bang all of a sudden the government makes a decision gyms are now closed what do you do from here and you know that was something that i mean i i've never even thought that that could happen you know when when um they decided to close the gyms. I was like, this surely has to be a joke. Like, how can they just yeah. make a decision that affects so many people's livelihoods? But um, fortunately, we were able to, just like I said, pivot and, um, you know, stay away from dying. How'd you pivot though? Like, what did you, like, what systems, habits, things did you create to keep going? Yeah. Okay. So, I guess, I mean, it's 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 nowhere near as impressive as, uh, you know, uh, a, a beer company turning into producing hand sanitizer or anything like that. But, you know, we've got a bunch of really loyal members and we've got a bunch of members that love their training. So we were able to put ourselves in a position where we rented out pretty much our entire gym inventory. Our, uh, our gym was completely empty for that sort of three to four month period. Mm -hmm. And we hired out all of our equipment to try and cover as many costs as we possibly could. I rented out my parking spaces from the gym uh, and did basically anything we could to help with programming throughout that time. Uh, in addition to obviously delivering and uh, helping out with the maintenance of that equipment while it was at our members' houses. Uh, and when uh, all of our members had been, you know, had the opportunity to rent everything, I then sort of turned to the public and, and said, we've still got a few things left if you want to try and rent it off us. So we were able to, you know, almost cover um, some of our rent expense. Um, and then fortunately, you know, despite the fact that both my business and my wife's business took a, an immediate downturn when COVID happened due to a lot of people losing their jobs and finances becoming a little bit tighter. Um, I did find from that point onwards that there were still people wanting to spend money out there. So it just meant that, you know, we were still able to, to grow, particularly from our personal coaching business perspectives. Um, and then obviously that was able to help with supplementing the fact that we wanted to try and keep our, uh, our passion project alive. Mm. 
It's a simple pivot, but it seemed effective for you guys. I mean, but yeah, I mean, sorry. On, on top of that, you know, at, at the time we were not not desperate, but we obviously wanted to explore all avenues. So we ended up going back to our landlord as well towards the end of that period and just said, "Hey, look, you know, we're not really sure how much longer this might last." Yeah, but. You know, we essentially just tried to begin negotiations with him whereby we asked for some form of rental relief in exchange for adding additional months onto the end of our yeah. lease period, you know, as a way of saying, you know, if you can scratch our back right now, then we'll scratch yours by staying for longer. And I think, I can't remember the uh, the agreement that um, we offered to him. I think it was, if you can give us any sort of rent relief, we'll add an extra two months onto the end of our lease for every month of relief you can give us. Mm. But then fortunately towards um, pretty much, you know, shortly after I sent that email, Fortunately, we were allowed to reopen again. But, you know, it's just I think in those situations, it is a little bit of a uh, backs up against the wall type scenario. So um, I think you just need to get creative. We were actually quite fortunate because, you know, throughout that period, I know quite a few other gym owners and uh, I know a bunch of them banded together. We created a Facebook group and there must have been somewhere between 50 and 60 gym owners in that group from around various parts of Australia. Obviously, the rules were slightly different from state to state. But um, it was really handy, uh, you know, sort of having those guys as a support network too. We were able to bounce some ideas off each other. And, and ultimately, that was where that sort of trend of hiring out equipment came from in yeah. order to, uh, you know, figure out a way that we could all stay afloat um, and, uh, you know, obviously bounce ideas off one another and, and all those sorts of things. So support networks in those sorts of times, very, very handy, but obviously being somewhat resourceful or as resourceful as you can, I think is a really good thing too. Yeah, you're proactive. Like you were actively seeking. Uh, and a community, talk about community, like you seeked it, you found it, and you used it to facilitate better decision-making to adapt. 100%. Do you, like, you have just a giant amount of people who follow you, right? I wonder, it's like if you put all those people in like a room or a stadium, it'd blow your mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've actually thought about that a couple of times. I. I agree. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of people. I don't but, understand how that happened. Well, that's what <laughs> that's what I wanted to ask. Like sometimes yeah. that that just happens, right? But there yeah. had to be. Um, I'm kind of fascinated with how the growth of business brands and people occurs. Like everybody has moments, like sparks. Sure. Uh, if you go back in time, what were some of the sparks that gave? you the most growth and attention that really transformed like another stepping stone to to grow your business and brand um okay well i can answer that um in a couple of different ways uh you ask for sort of like moments or things that happened yeah um nothing specifically on instagram ever really happened like that however i do remember there was um a couple of posts on facebook that went pretty viral um in fact i remember you know like my facebook page wasn't something that i would check you know, every day. And I remember posting a video up there one day and I had about 50,000 followers. And the next time I checked, I had 450,000 followers. I was like, what the hell has just happened here? And I ended up just posting a very simple workout video that I think ended up getting something around 20 million views. And, um, you know, this is obviously years and years ago, back when the Facebook algorithm was a little bit more favorable. But, um, you know, on top of that, to be honest, to be brutally honest, when I was a little bit younger, social media was a lot more important to me than it is now. And uh, there was certainly an element of uh, ego attached to that number on my account. And so there was a lot more drive to grow that number. Um, so, you know, to be honest, I was doing pretty much everything I could be to gain as much exposure across as many platforms as I possibly could. Now, on top of that, I, you know, I, I tend to think I was putting out 
very good content. Uh, back in the day that I was doing it, realistic, like not a lot of people were putting out content. You know, back then it was all um, it was all a secret how people lost weight. And uh, you know, the best methods for training, well, you have to pay me for that. And I just took the approach that, well, I mean, anything that these people need to know can be found on the internet. So why don't I just give it to them so that if they ever need a coach or if they ever need a trainer or if they ever want to show their friends who they're learning from, it's me. And so I just started putting out, you know, a lot of consistent information. Uh, I tried to become an authority on, you know, one, maybe two major topics. And, and those ended up being sort of flexible dieting, if it fits your macros and, um, you know, strength training. I did a lot of DUP style programming back then. And uh, that was pretty much me in a nutshell. You know, I just, I tried to put out as much information on those topics as I could to help people with the intention of giving them every opportunity to know that I was both an authority on those subjects and that if they needed to know anything about either one of those topics, that I was the place to go to. Do you think if you were to restart all over, you go to zero, no one knows who you are, right? What approach do you take? Do you take the same approach? What do you take? What do you don't, don't take? What do you do different? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I mean, I'd probably take a similar approach. And if I'm brutally honest, I probably dropped the ball a little bit in terms of my social media game the last couple of years uh, as I've, you know, become older and become, uh, I guess, more obsessed with finding joys outside of social media and, and yeah. actually experiencing life a little bit more. Uh -huh. um, I have struggled to stay on top of my social media game because I do find it somewhat suffocating at times. Um, the constant pursuit of um, creating new content and, you know, creating stuff that's engaging with people and, and responding to comments and just staying active on those platforms all of the time is draining. I'm not going to lie. Like, it, you know, I've been doing it, like I said, I've been a coach for 12 years and I probably haven't been on social media for that long, but I did, um, you know, probably three to five years of pretty heavy social media use and um, I'm a little bit over it, to be honest. Uh, so I probably have dropped the ball, but if I if I did have to go back, yeah, I mean, I think consistency is the key at this point in time. I'm certainly no Instagram algorithm genius or guru. I can I can promise you that, but it does seem to me like the the guys and girls growing the quickest and getting the most engagement are the ones that post very frequently. What's that tangent practically mean? Very frequently. Um, I see them posting pretty much every day. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I don't know how you have time to do anything else if you're posting more than once a day. Like that's a lot of content. You got to have teams to be able to do that. Mm. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk type business where he's posting multiple times a day. Got a team of people around him. Yeah, exactly. But I think you know that's that's all well and good for for Gary V, right? Like he is who he is. He he became who he was before he probably started doing that. Like yeah, yeah. there was probably an element of himself doing that to some extent when he first started to become who he is. But at the same time, you know, getting a team and, and employing that team from day dot, that doesn't give you a, a lot of face value to whoever it is you're trying to attract. And I think that's always been uh, both a blessing and a curse with the way that I have built, I guess, my following in that, you know, it's always been me. Uh, all of the products I've ever put out there have always been me and quite uh, labor intensive in terms of the way that I work with people, which has made, you know, it more, more difficult to scale in that respect. But at the same time, I've found that anytime I've tried to take my face away from things, you know, it's never been as successful. People want to get involved with my products because I'm the one pushing them. Um, so, you know, as far as social media is concerned, I think, you know, definitely high frequency posting would be the way that I go about it. And I guess I try and show as much of who I am and my personality as I possibly can. Because I think at the end of the day, a lot of people vibe with the person in addition to the content. Hmm. Interesting. So you'd get in front of the camera 
Yeah. However that may be. Did you do that back in the day? Were you very like, uh, you know, like how-to videos and like talking to the camera? Um, yes and no. Okay. Um, so mix. Yeah, I think, I think more so on like Snapchat stories, stuff like that. Um, I tried a little bit on YouTube, but um, I had YouTube. So <laughs> I, I, just, I just found the amount of time it would take me to film and record videos and then edit them and then get them up for yeah, a, a handful of people to watch them. It's like a part-time job. Mate, honestly, I like props to those people who have done it successfully and have huge followings now. It's probably like if you're going to pick one, I think that's probably the one to pick because it, you actually get paid for people watching that stuff when yeah. uh, you get advertising dollars. But um, yeah, I mean, when I, I guess when I started, um, the time cost to benefit ratio was just so low in comparison to Instagram or Facebook, considering I already had an established following on both of those platforms. It was just, why am I bothering spending hours and hours doing this when I could just go and get four or five photos and I've, I've got five posts for Instagram, you know? Right. For time, effort, energy, cost effectiveness. Yeah, it would suck the life out of me. Well, that's and, fair uh, enough. Yeah. It's like... Know, so, pick your poison. Yes. Uh, you said something interesting though. Uh, you said like you're, from what I heard, you're trying to prioritize or things are a bit changing in your life and what's a priority, like trying to experience more joy and experience in life now. How did you, because to get to where you are, to have a gym, to do all these things, to have a successful business and this this uh, large of an audience, you got to put in a large degree of hard, smart, consistent work, usually for many, many years. And some people don't get off that treadmill. Some people just, all right, let's go more dollars in the bank account, more zeros, more muscle, more this, more following where where are you with that is it just no i'm i'm still obsessed i'm still constantly like i'm trying to squeeze as much as i can or is it a reframe where you've come to it's like that stuff isn't as important to me and i'm trying to prioritize this this other thing in life like where do you sit amongst all that i'd like to think i'm the latter now um i think yeah like i said before you know i I attached an unhealthy amount of uh, ego to that number of people that was following me initially. And as a consequence of that, you know, I, I probably put in a lot more effort to my social media. And, and that was, you know, partly one of the reasons that I, I probably succeeded in building that following to what it is right now. But um, I mean, there came a point in time where I just, I felt like uh, my relationships were suffering. Uh, you know, my overall life quality was, you know, it wasn't overly great. I felt like you know, you get to a point where it's like, I've got these people that follow me. I, you know, I'm able to help a lot of people. I'm able to put out a lot of content. I'm able to earn the money that I want to earn, but for what purpose? Mm. And if uh, all you're ever doing is working, it's just a lonely existence. And, you know, I'll be the first person to put my hand up and say that it, it wasn't, you know, just me that came to that realization. You know, my wife is very intuitive. She's very, uh, very worldly. She's, she's just a very intelligent you know, high, high, high thinking person essentially. And, um, you know, we do a lot of reflecting and she does a lot of reflecting and I try and match her for that. But, um, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about, you know, why we do what we do, because if all we do is work, 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 what is the point? And, uh, you know, there's been a couple of times where I've just been like, what am I doing? And so, you know, I guess with those things in mind, it's, it's more a case now of how can I, um, you know, still find some fulfillment through the work that I do. I'm not going to lie. Like my personality is geared towards working, working hard and being successful. 
Like that is who I am. I'm not sure if you're uh, a fan of the Enneagram, but I'm a, a type three personality. And so when I'm at my most unhealthy, I am pretty much on my computer 24 seven grinding. And that is just not the best version of myself, you know? Um, and so when I, um, when I can get away from that and when I can focus on the fact that I am more than my successes, then uh, my life becomes a whole lot more enjoyable uh, and fulfilled basically. Your life is more, you're more than your successes. Do you feel like, like as people, we have to, like, can we come to that realization of what you're coming to now of like, okay, it's important. Like this other stuff, relationships, connection with human beings, like that's really important to you now. Do you almost, do you think everybody has to get to the point where they push it too far to the extreme to really actualize and realize that? Or do you think you can hear someone like, yeah, I heard Nick say this. I heard Alexander say this. It makes sense to me. I got it. Like I'm I, now I can preempt it and don't have to make that mistake. Or do you feel like it's very like, no, you have to really push it to feel it and change it? Um, yeah, I think... I think for people that are built the way that I am built in terms of, you know, having a similar personality, uh, yeah, I mean, actually going through it and, and living through that challenge and, and, and coming to that realisation is probably going to be what's required for the most part. I think other people, you know, like my wife, for instance, she's not, you know, she has a very, a very different personality type whereby she almost, you know, during, particularly during times of, um, you know, high stress and all those sorts of things, you know, she she doesn't get to a point where she ever feels like she works as hard as I do. You know, it's just never in her in her mindset to do that, you know. Everyone's different in that regard. But I think for people that are geared towards working and grinding and, you know, getting the job done and, and, and valuing success, then, yeah, it's going to be hard to, to figure out that other things in life matter too. Um, I guess, like I said, it really depends on what you consider to be important in life and, and whether or not you're willing to go through those challenges and, and those hardships to learn otherwise whether that's work or whether that's anything else in life. What's a reflection that you guys did to realize that? Because you said you're doing some reflections. Like, do you have like a practice, meditation, uh, journaling, that, that anything that you would recommend to people to figure that out? Um, I think it's important that everyone has their own form of meditation. Um, we don't, I guess we don't do active sort of meditation or journaling or anything like that. I, I, I personally don't. Um, I do speak to, um, I guess I wouldn't call her a psychologist or a, a counsellor, but she is a very wise human being. I guess she would probably fall um, underneath the heading of, of counsellor or she refers to herself as an energy healer. So um, she does a lot, of, a lot of different things, but she's a really good communicator and she's helped uh, both me and my wife a lot with our communication styles and a lot of business-minded stuff just to have, a, I guess, a more three-dimensional view of things. And uh, I guess by working with her on a consistent basis over the last three to five years, I've been able to you know, put myself in a position where I'm reflecting on my actions and what I do a lot more, um, not necessarily through uh, scheduled reflection sessions or anything like that. It's more just a case of thinking more about my own behavior and, and who I am as a person and perhaps who I want to work towards being instead of um, just falling into the habit of, uh, oh, I've got spare 20 minutes, I'll just go and do some emails. Mm. What's what's the structure? It reminds me, what's the structure of the, the average day look like now? Like, what are your systems in place that keep you high functioning in your business? 
running like a well-oiled efficient machine? Hmm. Uh, man, I'd love to give you like a real clear-cut response that makes me sound like an absolute boss for this, <laughs> but man, try as I might, you know, I, I do struggle with the whole structure thing. I'm not going to lie. The yep. weeks that I nail it, I feel fantastic. Um, but I also struggle with the idea that when I do nail it, I tend to fall back into an un, a more unhealthy version of myself. And then I'm like, you know, I really nailed this week. I've been so productive. I just want to keep doing that again, you know? And, and that is that is basically me in a nutshell. You know, I, I feel good about succeeding and being productive. So I want to keep doing it. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm just, all I'm doing is focusing on work again. And I'm, I'm falling out of balance. But for the most part, you know, Tuesday and Thursday, every single week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we end up being in the gym. So on those days is, are the days that I will schedule any in-person coaching. I only work with about five or six clients in person at the moment. The rest of my client base is actually online. Uh, Mondays and Sundays are pretty much just spent in my office doing client check-ins, programming for the week ahead. Uh, and then the majority of the remainder of the week is either structured in a manner that allows me to get out in two wheels. Uh, just bought a brand new motorbike. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, and you know anything else that helps me with propelling myself forward in business so working on new projects creating content uh you know training uh and you know doing anything that that might need to be done writing emails writing social media posts um you know putting together any sort of campaign whatever it might be that sort of stuff how do you hold yourself accountable to that do you have like a uh you know some people like a system, like or like a habit or a tool and resource that is kind of like a lifesaver for you. Like some people use Google Sheets and are really good at, at using that as a tool for all their programming templates. Some people have really well-tuned booking systems where they don't have to be attached to, you know, uh, communicating with clients for such, you know, back and forth things. Like is there things that you've built now that you wish you had earlier or that young businessmen and women coaches like you got to do this like it's going to save you a lot of time mm. yeah i'm gonna I'll, I'll give you one piece of advice when yeah. it comes to building your own platform don't you mean website what do you mean well i mean if you have, if you have an idea and you think that you know you can build a platform that allows you to control your clients and build a oh. you know, platform don't do that because trust me someone else has done a better job and they've spent millions of dollars on it, got it. tap into their system use that you it's mean gonna... you mean like an app for example that Correct. does all your training programs or... yeah okay absolutely got it. there's so many good so, ones out there oh dude so many you know and uh unfortunately yeah, i've learned i learned that from experience too uh, that is a rabbit hole and it's probably one you're not going to get into unless you've got uh, a bottomless wallet you yeah. know it's just it's just not going to be a smart idea particularly if you want to make a lot of money that is a good way to lose a lot of money not necessarily make it back uh, so with that in mind, I used two premium applications to help with client programming and managing my clients. Um, I use, uh, on top of that, I use Monday, which is just like a basic productivity software that you can get for free. Um, and that is basically just a way that I go about creating my to-do list for the week, which then allows me to create my calendar to sort of figure out when I'm going to do each of those tasks. Uh, it also allows me to assign things to my assistant directly to help me out with staying on top of things. Um, I've only really had an assistant for like the last six months or so. So don't think that I've had that for, for ages. It's just me trying to get a little bit more productive with my time. Is it, How much has um, that helped? Has that regained some uh, control of your time? Yeah, quite a bit. To be honest, I only like he's not, he's not fitness based. So he can't really take anything 
you know, it's not like you could program for my clients, right? I'd also feel a little bit inauthentic if I was asking him to do that. But he does a lot of the mindless, tedious work that I need to get done. Um, so whether that be uh, you know, following up with clients to make sure that they submit a check-in or, you know, asking a client why they haven't, you know, communicated with me in the last couple of days, making sure that clients don't fall out of touch. Uh, you know, um, he does a lot of graphic design work for me. He manages my website. If I write a blog, he'll post it on my website for me. Um, he can do video editing, all those sorts of things that I just don't want to do, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, obviously, client communication doesn't fall in things I don't want to do, but having someone to help me with stay- making sure that everybody is, you know, constantly in the loop just makes my life easier. You know, it's like a second set of eyes, uh, for things that are not at the top of my mind. Is there a scalable version? Well, it's not scalable. Like a, a version of that or anything else that maybe the young coach can't afford yet, but that you would recommend like this is the version of that that I would recommend or something to regain control of their time a little bit more effectively and improve the client experience. Um, I think... I think there are a few things that you can probably implement into your own day-to-day that would help you with prioritizing the more important things. Um, you know, I, like I'll, yeah, business really gets me going. Obviously, I love fitness too, but, you know, the inner workings of how to be more productive and and, and creating systems that make life yeah. and business much easier. Let's that's go there. Stuff that really gets me going, right? Awesome. So, like I've done a lot of research and reading into, you know, ways to become more productive and, and making the most of your time. And the reality is, you know, it, it's, there's every chance that uh, it's, you know, if you can get up first thing in the morning and focus your intent, focus your attention on the most important thing that you have to do first thing in the day, chances are that's when you're going to be the most responsive to whatever it is you need to do. You know, you're going to be the most efficient version of yourself first thing in the morning, get up, get it done move on with your day reactive work things like responding to clients and doing things that need to be done they can be done in the afternoon when you're tired when you aren't quite as sharp when you aren't firing quite as well anyone can answer an email at any time of the day don't use the most valuable part of the day first thing in the morning to do that anyone can answer an email at any time leave that for a less important time but uh i think the most valuable thing that i ever did when you know i first started exploring ways to be more productive was literally write out a list of every single thing that you have to do in your business. Every single thing, whether that be responding to emails, writing client programs, sending out emails to a newsletter, uh, creating social media posts, everything. And then ideally rank it in order of importance and then figure out which ones you can get rid of or figure out which ones you can combine. And ideally when you get to a, a point where you can justify it, figure out what you can give to someone else. Delegate. Correct. That the morning thing is so powerful cognitively. You know, you haven't made many, you haven't made any decisions or many decisions at all. You're quite fresh. You haven't exhausted yourself with the burden of, uh, you know, emotion or decision making. I'm saying, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but uh, there's a great, there's a guy I love to follow. His name is Craig Ballantyne. And uh, he used to be in the fitness space, but now he's more in the product productivity space. And he wrote a book called The Millionaire Morning Routine. It was like, I think it cost me like seven bucks. Yeah. Highly recommend. Okay. is that And that talks about exactly what we're talking about, starting the day strong. Yeah. Like he, uh, he prides himself on being done with work by 12 o'clock every day and makes millions. So. Right. 
anyone can claim to do that, but I'm pretty sure he's walking the walk. And and some of the advice in that book is just extremely practical stuff that you can read and go, shit, I can do that right now. I can do it tomorrow. What you know? is there one takeaway that you're like, that's a that's a game changer for me that you use? Um, he was really big on routine and consistency, um, which is not always overly possible. I don't I don't think you know it's not always possible to get up at six in the morning. It's not always possible to do X and do Y, but I think if you can build yourself something consistent in the way of a routine, uh, and you know continue to to prioritize planning for that, then you're more often than not going to make sure that you've got enough time to do everything. I think a trap that I often fell into when I was you know first taking on all these tasks as my business grew was that you know I was like constantly living in fear that I wouldn't have time to fit something in. And so by proper, properly scheduling out my week, I now know that I'm always going to have time to fit in whatever it is I need to do because I've built out my diary on the to-do list that I've created for the week and I've been able to fit everything in. I can go and enjoy myself during a period where I'm not working, knowing that I've scheduled in time later in the week to cover off all the tasks. Whereas previously I was like, I don't know when I'm going to get that newsletter done. I don't know when I'm going to respond to my clients. I just better do it now. And so I get all this free time and I'd be like, I have to work. And then it doesn't stop because you have no boundaries. Exactly right. There are no boundaries. And, you know, at, at that at that point in time too, I, I legitimately had no boundaries. I was living in a one-bedroom apartment whereby my office was my lounge room. And so, like, there was no boundary whatsoever yeah. between work and play and home and the office. And it was just not a good place to be, you know. It was, it was like running on a hamster wheel and never being able to get off and... And that, that, that took me a long time to, to understand and, and get better at. Um, yeah. That's so important. Like one of the best decisions that I made for my, like one of the greatest ones for productivity and for creating boundaries is every, every room has an association, right? Every place has an association. And if you're the place you sleep in is also the place you eat in and the place you work in and the place you talk on the phone and the place you like suddenly like you're living in a bit of a chaotic tornado and separating rooms for this is for this that is for that. It's like you become like, all right, I'm locked in. This is what I'm doing. I'm locked in. That's what I'm doing. It's like it's, it's so powerful. 100%. 100%. I'm literally sitting in my office right now and I can tell you right this second, I don't do anything in here other than work. That's right. You know? That's right. Like, you know, there's a bit of storage and, and stuff going on and yeah, I keep my, my, my bike helmets in here, but I come in here to get them out and then leave or I come into work. That's I, it. I become, I think the same thing could be applied to training. Like we haven't really talked about health, training, nutrition, all that, but like I'm, I feel so anal about it. Like if you're on the weight training, weight lifting platform, we've done our set. And we're talking. No, we're not talking on the platform. This platform, when you step on this platform, you go. Like you, you got to focus. But if we, I don't know. It's like if we start associating, just like, oh, we're hanging out, we're talking, we're checking in. I, I feel like it crosses some wires where it would be more effective to just like, step aside, separate, and then step on when we're ready. Yeah, I'm saying I like that. Absolutely, I agree. With boundaries, mm-hmm. you said like, all right, let's do the reactive tasks later in the day, and I totally feel that and it's practical and intelligent but it's it's also you know how do you create that boundary because yeah you can disable notifications but what's your strategy to clients messaging you you want to get back to them 
But how do you actually like, because it's like, it's right there, right? Ah, I could just get back to him. Like I could just solve that problem, right? How do you create that boundary and space to actually make it easier for you to not do the thing that you said you didn't want to do? Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. First thing I do is set appropriate boundaries with all of my clients. That's yeah, got to be, got to be the first thing you do. How do you articulate uh, that? What are, what are those boundaries? You'll always receive a response from me within twenty four hours. Okay. Not within two, or one. There, like my clients know that there's very little chance I'll get a response if they send me a, oh my god, I'm at the gym, I don't know what to do, what should I do? I'm not going to respond to that. If I happen to be on my computer and I've responded to all of the other messages that have come in before you've sent that, and I just happen to be there when it comes in, yeah, I might respond if I'm still working, but. I make sure to set out that, you know, I set out to make sure that all of my clients get a response to whatever it is they've sent me, a, a checking in, a message, a question within 24 hours. Now, oftentimes it's well within 12 hours, but at the same time, it gives me that freedom to be like, nah, in fact, I might just squeeze in a training session right now because I know that, you know, I worked up until three hours ago and I cleared all of my messages. So worst case scenario, I've still got 21 hours to get back to everybody else. And on that note, I tend to schedule automatically on repeat every week, short 30 to 60 minute sessions in the afternoon of just responding to clients to make sure that, you know, I know every single day, oh, fuck it, I'll just get to it at three. Mm, you've three blocked it out. My hour. Yeah, like literally, and, and often, you know, we talk about boundaries, it's a terrible boundary for me, but I always go to, uh, coach my group of girls Tuesday and Thursday afternoon from four o'clock and I know that the hour before then, we have a, a chiropractor that rents our office. So the hour before then, I literally just sit on our gym floor on one of the benches and I just churn through an hour of emails. Zero boundaries, but I'm always super effective because I know that I've only got 60 minutes in that time to get through a few messages, get as much done as I can because then I'm coaching for the next few hours after that. And that's going to put another you know, two or three hours on that time limit, so to speak. And um, you know, I know that I'll obviously have another opportunity the following day, but... Like I said, you know, I always try and give myself 30 to 60 minute slots most weekdays just to respond to messages and, and know that I've always got time for that to ensure that I can always stay within that 24 hour period. When you were first establishing this, like blocking the time, you know, all right, that time is for that. Did you ever begin to almost like cheat and be like, oh yeah, I'll just open the messaging app and just get back to them now and be like, fuck, I, I, I shouldn't have done that. Like I got this time for that. Do you, do you, ever, do you ever find yourself like being like, ah, just like that resistance at the start of, of I got this task, I can do it now, even though I said I'd do it later, mm. but I just want to get it done. So I've ticked it off my brain. Did you ever struggle with that in the beginning? Yeah, 100%. And I, I, I don't necessarily think that's that's a bad thing unless you're, Unless you're changing plans to do that, you know. Okay. I mean, oftentimes, particularly, like I said, I, you know, Tuesday to Thursday, I'm, I'm typically at the gym most of the day. Um, you know, we'll typically start a day at 6.30 and I probably won't get home until maybe 7 o'clock that night. Um, and so, you know, whilst I do try and block out my day throughout the day, whilst I, I set aside time at, at 3 o'clock, if I end up finishing training early or, you know, things don't quite work out, then, yeah, I might just do it a little bit earlier and get it done. Um or instead, I, I just take the opportunity to chat with some of our members and, and catch up and, and enjoy myself for that extra bit of time that I found. But I absolutely understand the, the resistance to change. Um, I think the best thing you can do, though, is, is figure out what's going to make the most sense in the long run and try and stick to that as best you can. 
I think there's probably going to be more resistance to change when you when you're trying to change something that you don't want to change. Yeah, I mean that's a big thing in of itself, like the psychology of change. But before we get to that, the top end, the the bookends of your day, start and end, they can often like be the I would say the eighty twenty of like making or breaking your your day and your next day. Mm-hmm. How what are the habits that you have established and that you establish with your clients so they can own win their day? Um so you know, I mentioned um you know Craig Ballantyne before and you know I read I read his book and I took a lot of the things out of that and then I sort of changed them around to suit my own schedule a little bit better. Um, you know, like I said, I do like to focus on the most important thing of my day, you know, whenever I get up and, and get stuck into work. It just so happens for me that on different days, that happens to be different tasks. So for me on, you know, a Monday and a Tuesday, that actually ends up, ends up being a reactive style task in that Monday and Tuesday is when the majority of my clients end up checking in. Monday, because I, I like my clients to check in on a Monday just because it makes the most sense to me in my head. Um, But also I like to try and group them together as much as I can. But obviously I've got a lot of clients in the States and overseas that end up checking in on their Monday. So it filters through to me Monday night. So I get to it on Tuesday. So the thing that alleviates the most business related stress for me on a Monday and Tuesday is churning through check-ins first thing in the morning, getting them done, knowing that I can then free up the rest of my day for a little bit more creative work if that's what I want to do. On top of that, I've also got a lot of programming on those two days. So I'll typically bookend the front half of my week with client check-ins and client programming for the following week and beyond. I'm always trying to stay at least one week ahead so that no client ever has to run out of a program or ever be waiting on me, if that makes sense. Um, but as far as uh, you know, clients owning their own day is concerned, um, you know, I, I do like to leave that up to them. Obviously, uh, I'm aware that not all of my clients have a similar level of freedom in terms of their own days. A lot of them work nine to fives or, you know, whatever work hours they have, they're working for somebody else. So they're being dictated by whoever they're working for. But I do like to help them build their own schedule, so to speak. So I am big on creating habits surrounding, uh, you know, when they'll be training each week, when they eat around their workouts, you know, what makes the most sense in terms of preparing their food and, and those sorts of things. Um, but realistically, I, I still try and encourage them to be their own person and, and, you know, build a schedule that suits them. You know, we're going to fit training and nutrition into that schedule. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely want them to build a schedule that they want so that then I can sort of plug and play what I can do to help them achieve the physique or the strength or the, the total, whatever it is that they're trying to achieve. So it seems like this uh, flexible dieting approach that you've become known for is seems like it permeates like lifestyle. Hundred like, percent flexible lifestyle, of course. Right? Okay, so let's dig to that. Like, what's let's finish the conversation there. Like, what's uh, how do you stop a flexible lifestyle becoming a life of indulgence and gluttony? A flexible lifestyle still has rigid guidelines yeah boundaries uh, I, li- I like the, i like the term rigid guidelines because they're guidelines but they are followed rigidly if that makes sense yeah. what i mean by that is you know um i'll give you an example you know we obviously want to be hitting uh precise calorie macro targets ideally yep. 
But if you want to hit them every single day or if you want to hit them over the course of a week, that's entirely up to you. I can tell you the pros and cons of doing both. But at the end of the day, you have the freedom to either hit your macros every single day, or if you go out and have a few beers one night, you might just decide, actually, it's going to be pretty hard to hit my daily macros today and tomorrow and the next day. So I'm just going to make some changes and still hit my weekly macros by the end of this week. I'm going to give you, let's say, four training sessions a week. And yeah, maybe it's ideal that you do them Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. But if you've got a big corporate event on on Thursday, and you're just not going to have time to train until 9 p.m. and you know you're going to be absolutely destroyed by then, fuck, let's just train Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. Who cares? It's flexible. You know, We've got th- certain things that we want to achieve by the end of the week, but the way that we can go about achieving them, it's up to personal preference. It's open to interpretation and it can change. It's fluid. Yeah. You, uh, I mean, I don't know if you heard the term. Maybe you have, probably have. Auto-regulation. Like that's, yeah, that's exactly right. simple term. Exactly in- right. We have a common set of goals i.e you know we're, we're talking about what it is you want to achieve over the course of the week i'm guiding you to those goals but provided you're able to achieve them by the end of the week we're all good right yeah, same goes if you i mean you know I, I had a client message me this morning going hey mate they've just implemented uh 30 minute time slots at the gym to train i'm like well that's not gonna be long enough and he goes is it okay if i do one 30 minute time slot in the morning and come back later that night i'm like Mate, if you can justify going back to the gym on the same day <laughs> and you can still get through your workout, go uh, for it. It's almost, it's like he's justified what most people would never do. 100%. 100%. But, you know, I said to him, I was like, look, if that makes the most sense to you, yeah. go for it. Awesome. But if you want to then push that second half an hour onto the next day too, that's cool as well. You know, you're only training four times a week. You don't need to be there every single day already. Very true. Um, talk about flexible uh, nutrition wise you have that flexible dieting approach uh, which enables a psychologically it seems like a healthier relationship with food overall but i have been uh, on the hunt over the last i don't know 6 months a year trying to find you know the most efficient like low calorie cost effective like budget caloric effective foods that are also satiating and palatable and taste good but don't break the caloric budget and you know aren't rife with uh pros uh with hi- a highly processed food ideally um do you have any foods like that i don't know like one example would be hey you love ice cream right but you know that high fat Ice cream is going to be tough to fit in your budget, but this over here, this uh, frozen dessert is what they call it technically by Tilly's or, or this other brand is going to be, you can eat the whole tub and you can, you can, it, you can still get it. Do you have like a list in your head that you're like, this is awesome. This can f- replace that. This can replace that. Do you ever, do you have that? So you're asking about low calorie, high volume, yeah, low sugar, non-processed, healthy, really tasty food it doesn't have to be low sugar necessarily but low fat probably be a priority yeah i feel like there's a joke coming at the end of this yeah that doesn't exist yeah i think you know like it'd be nice to think that we could achieve all of those things with every single food that we eat but i think the best part about flexible dieting is it teaches you the food the consequences of your food decisions you know you can have you can have your cake if you want but when you're tracking your macros and you have specific nutritional goals choosing to eat that cake comes with consequences now maybe you can justify those consequences when you eat the cake 
Yeah. Maybe you can justify those consequences every time you eat the cake. But if you're consistently dieting and your intention is to lose body fat, particularly if you have a lot of it to lose, there's more than likely going to come a time where you can't justify eating the cake. But because you are tracking your macros and you understand the consequences of those food decisions, you're then empowered to be able to make the appropriate decision when that time comes. So do I you know, have a list of foods that are you know, more palatable, less palatable, more satiating, less satiating? Sure, I can help out clients with choosing more suitable foods for whatever problem that is they're, they're struggling with in their diet. Mm. But at the end of the day, I want to teach people how to eat based on their personal preferences whilst also tracking down their goals, you know? Like, yeah, there's always going to be some foods that you can substitute to achieve X, to achieve Y, to achieve Z, whether that's hunger, you know, um, something more satiating, something tastier, something more voluminous in terms of the amount of food they can eat. But at the same time, you know, all of these food choices come with consequences. Mm. And until you begin tracking your macros and understanding what's actually inside the foods you're eating, you don't even know what the consequences of those food choices are. That's really important. Like um, my selfish question aside in trying to find uh, <laughs> more indulgent but guilt-free foods, um, that's it's really spot on, man. Like developing the psychological framework to interact with essentially all foods in a healthy way is like that's paramount importance. Um, what's the playbook there? Like... <sighs> How do you establish, I don't know, it's a big question, I know, and it's not the best question, but it's a common problem, right? People's relationship with food. Mm. How do you tackle that beast, at least from like a 30-foot view or a, sorry, 10,000-foot view? Um, I think it, it really depends on context. Okay. Uh, it depends where the person's coming from. Um, people with you know, an already seemingly healthy ver uh, relationship with food, they're probably not going to have any issues with incorporating some form of restriction, whether that be through calorie or food-based restriction. For somebody that has, ha has had a history of a poor relationship with food, my instinct reaction would always be to give them more of it. More food. More food in general. Correct. Yeah. So that might mean a, a difficult conversation up front which can be hard and, and ultimately lead to a non-sale. But, you know, there's a lot of people that probably aren't ready to diet. Yeah. That don't understand that. Um, I think, you know, the idea of having a poor relationship with food, it's going to be very difficult to improve that when there is still some form of restriction placed upon you, whether that is through the foods that you're allowed to eat or calorie restriction. Often one will lead to the other. Um, but if you are feeling restricted in any way, shape or form, it's going to be very difficult to mend that relationship with food. Mm. You need to get to, you know, you need to get somebody to the point where they're like, I could have that, but I don't feel like it anymore. Well, I don't want it. I don't need it. That's the best part. I don't need that. I can have it tomorrow if I want. Yeah, that. I think a lot of people want to be able to get to that level of control. Um, I think flexible dieting gives them that opportunity just because particularly yeah. if they do have the capacity to eat more calories, you know, uh, and often what I'll do, particularly with a new client, particularly if they, you know, have tried some poor dieting um, methods in the past um, or, you know, just don't have any history of tracking their macros. Um, 
you know, the best way to start off with any client is just to give them, you know, I guess closer to maintenance calories or even put them in a slight surplus and just say, hey, this is the diet before the diet to give you an opportunity of building some really good habits surrounding food, surrounding yep. food tracking, surrounding food choices, whereby all I want you to do is figure out what you can eat and what works for you. You know, understand that when you eat a Mars bar, that actually takes out a pretty good chunk of calories, probably more than you realized, but you can eat it so long as you're willing to wear the consequences of it. Yeah. And through that process, they can then, you know, better understand what's going to work for them in terms of the food choices most of the time, which then makes dieting more of an active choice than being like, well, I, I know I can eat it. that other thing, but I want to lose weight. And so I want to eat this other food instead of the Mars bar, you know, whatever it might be. I'm not saying they always don't have to choose the Mars bar, but it gives them the opportunity and the, the power to make that decision for themselves realize the consequences and make it a deliberate choice right instead of like an emotional reactive i'm just gonna grab that because maybe i know i can't have it for example 100 and yeah i'm big you know on that on that note i'm big on you know really prioritizing the idea of planning ahead of time you know i like to encourage my clients particularly the ones that are you know uber serious about losing weight you know like you have no excuses if you if you're telling me your number one priority is to lose weight then you need to be doing everything that I say, basically. And if you aren't planning your entire day ahead of time so that you are hitting your macro targets to within five grams, you are tracking absolutely everything that you're going to eat for that day before you start eating. If you aren't doing that, you're not doing everything you could be to be losing weight. You're not doing everything you could be to hitting, you know, to be able to hit your macros to within five grams. Yep. Um, and ultimately, understanding that if you're eating something that you haven't yet tracked in your food diary, you are, accepting, you are accepting the consequences of that food decision and you don't have a single idea what they are. I think it's like spending, buying things, but you don't even know how much they cost. Correct. You don't know how much money you got left either. It's like- you, you, no would, you wouldn't do, like mo most people wouldn't accept that. Yet we 100%. do it, or a lot of people do it with their food and calories All every day. Yeah, you're exactly right. Like you can buy this car. You can walk away with it right now. And, yeah. and then it's going brilliant. And then they get home and you're like, How much that cost? It was a hundred thousand dollars more than you were wanting to spend. And they're right. like, Yeah. That's what that's what happens to a lot of people every single day. I think that's like the daily decisions people don't realize they make. Like, oh, I'm just gonna have that snack, that that I'm gonna grab that satiating, not not the the highly palatable, non-satiating uh snack i know you kind of like anti like snack as well it's like i'm gonna grab that grab that oh just a little bit per day and you look in a scale 10 years oh sorry one year later or you look in the mirror one year later and that's it that's a hundred thousand dollar spend and you're 10 kilos heavier exactly right last thing nick actually do you, do you have a hard five p.m out or you got a second i got a handful of minutes let's go <laughs> handful of minutes i like that um Maintain, you said maintaining leanness will probably maintaining this level of leanness will probably lose, uh, ruin your life. Um, in a recent post, and I resonate with that because I uh, went through my own really hard uh, first uh, aggressive cut, transforming myself. I think I'm not as jacked as you, so but I got like pretty much as lean. I would say. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't really matter. You know, being lean is being lean. Everyone right. goes through the same sort of stuff. Doesn't matter how much muscle mass you carry at the same time. If you're lean, you're going through the through the challenges. Yeah, and they were. I didn't even realize, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's good because then you realize, but I wonder once you come out of that phase, you do something you've never done before. It's like you get a confidence over your body and mind like you've had never had. Once you come out of that, all right, I'm getting back, you, you know, you that level of leanness, you don't hang on to, right? 
there's a certain amount you can, but it's not the same. And I wonder how do you manage to stay emotionally detached and not almost addicted to the self-image and physique that you've created. Oh, I just want to hang on to this leanness, but I also like, I'm coming out now and I want to put on muscle mass, being a surplus, but that's going to come with some fat gain. How do you manage that psychologically to, to not stay attached to that self-image and ego of who you were in exchange for who you could be in the future? Man, I, th- you know, I think this comes you know, back to that whole ego discussion that I had previously. Um, you know, every single person is worth far more than their level of body fat, you know, their, their, their current level of conditioning. You know, that doesn't make you who you are as a person. It certainly doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't make you a worse person. It just makes you a lean one. And, uh, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to say that there is a way to remove that emotional connection between being lean and feeling great about being lean, but that will never go away. I promise you now, even when I'm a little bit leaner, I'm like, Ooh, yeah, I'm fucking, you know, digging this. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, same as all those food choices we're talking about, they come with consequences, you know, like being that lean, it means you can't do things, you know? And so I think the, what that comes down to is, not only enjoying the process, you know, both sides of the process, you know, enjoying training, not just because you're getting lean, but because you enjoy training, enjoy eating and dieting because you enjoy, you know, eating that way, whether you're in a surplus or a deficit, but also appreciating that both phases come with plenty of positives. I would argue that bulking probably comes with more positives personally. I would say so. Um, But you know, there's, there's, there's positives to be gained from both phases. And I think we're so quick to focus on the negatives when we bulk and the positives only when we cut. You mean the negatives only when we cut? No, no, no. I positives think only when we bulk and the, and the neck. No, other way around. So we focus on the positives of being lean, which is we're lean. This is great. Oh, the outcome. Yeah. But the negatives of being lean are like, well, I can't get it up. I'm hungry all the time. I can't have a beer with my friends. And I generally hate doing anything other than training and looking at myself in the mirror. No one talks about all those things, right? No one talks about all those things. They're just like, oh, I'm shredded. Sick. Yeah. Sick. What a great summary. Yeah. Right. But then when when you're bulking, like all those things, like come back with a vengeance and you can actually enjoy your life. Mm -hmm. But we're like, oh, this sucks because I'm getting a bit fat. You're you're not getting fat. You're just not as lean as you were, but. You know, like that four, five, six percent body fat has just afforded you the opportunity to live the life that you actually want to live. So it's it's a perspective reframe that helps keep you detached emotionally. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I like to focus on, I like yeah, I like to focus on the positives. You know, right now, like right. I'm not overly lean. Like I'm probably sitting towards the heavier end of where I've been for quite a while. And like, yeah, I definitely don't look as good as I have looked in the past. But at the same time, my ability to demolish a pizza is second to none. <laughs> and like for me right now, that works. I like you own it, man. I I, re- I respect that. Like because yeah. you you could easily feel like pressured, and maybe you do at times by like keeping this self image up to all the millions or hundreds of thousands of people who would watch you and look up to you. I'm sure maybe that's a different conversation for another day. But you sound like you own it, and maybe you've figured out a way to be less pressured by those pressures now i think that's just a i think that's just a case of having felt that pressure for quite some time and just deciding that i've had enough of it you know when i think 
I think, you know, life is ultimately very short and, you know, it might take losing a loved one to realise that. But I think when that happens, it, it puts a lot of things into perspective, right? And, like, if we are going to chase body composition improvements, you know, chances are we're going to spend a fair amount of time in the gym, right? For me, training is, you know, like I've obviously made a career out of the gym, training in the gym and, and, and helping people with dieting and building muscle and losing body fat. But if we can't go into the gym and, and enjoy the overall experience, then it's just, it's another pain point. And so, you know, I, I got to a point where I was like, what is it that I actually enjoy about training? Mm. And like, it took me, it took me a while to figure it out, but you know, I, I love the feeling of being able to push myself and almost creating this hole that I can then go and fill with food. You know, like I love, I love just punishing myself in the gym, feeling like I've worked hard. It probably feeds into my personality type a little bit, feeling like I've accomplished something in the gym. I've pushed myself, you know, to a, a point that probably most people can't push themselves to. And then I'm going to go and enjoy my food because I can. Do, is it like a reward thing? Do you feel like maybe you can't enjoy the food as much mentally if you don't push as hard? No, I don't think it's that, but, you know, I, I certainly enjoy, you know, um, I don't think it's a reward thing. You know, I think that, I think that probably borders more on unhealthy. I certainly don't train to eat, if that makes sense. You know, I love the training part and I love the food part. And those two things are separate okay. from one another, you know, um, I would eat a pizza whether or not I trained. Uh, it's just that, um, you know, I also love the fact that I can use that pizza to then train hard uh, the next day as well. You got know? it. Um, but yeah, just you know, for me, it's 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 the process. You know, I get to train, I get to enjoy my training session, I get to work hard and and push my own boundaries and see if I can do you know better this week than I did last week or better this month than I did last month. Uh, and then you know, I can enjoy my food because I just life is too short to then go and eat chicken and broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, Nick, man, thank you, thank you for the time, thank you for yeah. just. Speaking with uh, authenticity and kind of owning who you are instead of putting out a facade that I think a lot of people try. So thank you for that. And uh, yeah, if you got any last comments, thoughts, asks of our audience or just where people can find you, where you'd point them. Uh, com is probably uh, the easiest place to go. All my usernames are pretty much Fitness. So any questions or... Uh, Anything that you're looking for, you can probably find me on one of those platforms, Instagram, Facebook, or my website. In one sentence, what are you most excited for in 2021? Growth. Done. Nick, you're a good man. Uh, maybe one day our cars will cross, cars will cross if I'm ever in Sydney. If you're ever in Melbourne and need anything from us, you let me know. Will do, mate. All right. Pleasure speaking with you. You too. See you, buddy. See you, mate. Nick Schedule, ladies and gentlemen, oh, number 40 podcast. I really appreciated that conversation. Just as we got along, I, I, you know, it, it uh, opened up in, in the things we talked about. It was a very dynamic conversation from business to personal to ego to nutrition. Uh, I really appreciated his, uh, as I said, authenticity and just like, you know, humanizes somebody when they when they can just own it. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm going to fully enjoy an experience, like my intentional decisions to do something that a lot of people feel guilty for. for. And that's like eating uh, fun, indulgent, luxury foods like a pizza. And so, 
Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation, took some things away from it. Like consistency is a big thing. Consistency, like showing people who you are and consistency. And for a lot of you young coaches and trainers and, you know, businesses who, who are trying to grow, like that's that's definitely a takeaway for me. Uh, or a reminder. It's a reminder because, you know, Rogan says that as well about his podcast. Just turn up, show up consistently every week. Be there. Like let people, people so people can expect you and rely that you're going to be there. And uh, that it's, it's a commonality that I keep hearing amongst uh, these highly successful individuals and people. And showing people who you are, which is probably something that you guys see on these podcasts, but something we, we and I could do a better job on uh, personally uh, as well. Um, speaking of personally, something I could do a better job on is where you guys can find me at Strength of Sard. If you want to see my coaching training uh, page or Alexander Emmanuel Sandalis. And then you can find Orphic Education everywhere. All these podcasts are available, all platforms, YouTube, Facebook. If you guys have any guests that you would recommend, comment them below. Any questions for future guests, stay tuned to our social media. Otherwise, we'll see you guys next week.